Hello, listeners. This is PSG Talk contributor Mark Damon, and this is the 1970s. And joining me today, fresh off of his little road trip, here is our editor, Ed. Ed, how are we doing today? I'm doing well. I'm, I'm coming to you live from a hotel in Parts Unknown in Georgia, so apologies if my internet connection isn't the greatest, but that's that's the Hilton internet for you. Georgia. Ugh. All right. Um, <laughs> yeah, so um, today was another uh, classique. Uh, PSG took on Olympique Marseille. And that's what we'll spend most of this show talking about, pretty much the whole show. It's not going to be very long. Are you sure we should talk about that? Because didn't Andre Villas-Bolo say it's not really a big deal and it's not really like a, a rivalry anymore? Yeah, we'll get to that. It's still a rivalry to me, damn it. Um, yeah. So, yeah, um, we'll talk mostly about that. It won't be as long of a show. Um, you saw the goals, and I'm, I'll kind of do a little bit more of the heavy lifting, but that's okay. We just want to make sure we get all of our fans taken care of here with a classic review. So let's get to it. Um, PSG won this game 4-0. to They scored all four goals in the first half. A brace from Mario Riccardi. A brace from Kylian Mbappe. The second half was pretty much a glorified exhibition match. The intensity level dropped way down, but PSG had pretty much already proved its point. Um no injuries to report, so that's a first. Um, yeah, I, I thought overall this was one of the strongest first halves in the Thomas Tuchel era. I think this was a game that PSG took by the scruff of the neck early. Midfield-wise, they dominated. Obviously, that attacking front three is just otherworldly, and I mm. think it's going to raise some interesting questions as we go along here in the season. Yeah. But Di Maria, wow. Icardi, wow. Killian Mbappe, <laughs> you already pretty much know what you're going to get. But, I mean, man, they were, for, for that first 45 minutes, they were really unstoppable. And it could have been more. They could have scored six or seven. I know that's a cliche at this point. But, I mean, really. Like, Steph Mondanda made a couple of nice saves that kept that game interesting. And I wasn't even really that interesting. And Marseille, I th- and Marseille played this high line that was just completely catastrophic. Like I just don't understand. I know that's Villaboa's thing to play that high line, but you can't do that against Killian and Di Maria mm. and Cardi. It's just it's not going to work. Um, so you saw some of the goals, and you're obviously going to sit around and watch this match. At, in full at some point i do I, I did dvr it i'm just watching that first goal and Di maria that kind of like move that he did to free up some space and cross into the box was almost as good as, as the goal that uh Cardi went on to score um and then you mentioned mandana and some of his uh saves that he made wasn't he on the pitch the last time marseille beat psg in 2011 i think i saw that that he was one of the few that were actually I think playing he had to be the only one yeah i can't think of anyone else that would have possibly been there besides him i think he's He's the stalwart there. Like, he's been there for the – he was there for some of the better years in the uh, late 2000s, and he's been here pretty much for the entire decline. Mm-hmm. I think he had a year – where did he go in the Premier League? He had a year in the Premier League somewhere. I know was that. It Crystal Palace, was it? Uh, that's what I was thinking. I was thinking it was Crystal yeah. Palace. But he, he had a year in the Premier League, kind of like Florian Tovan did. Mm-hmm. And – you, you know, it just didn't work. So he's just a kind of a better guy to have at Marseille. And again, he was their best player. And you usually don't win 
uh, football matches when your goalie is the best player. Yeah. You don't want that, them having to make too many saves. You want them to be like Keeler Navas, who hasn't had to make a save in like over a month and a half. Oh, he's – but you know what? Like, you watch that fourth goal. Like, he was good – he did some really nice stuff on the ball. Like, he was the sort of the beginning of that fourth goal, which is probably the nicest of all four of them. I'm watching it right now. He did have, like, an excellent first touch to settle the ball, and then he was he was a part of that building out from the back, and then Verratti, you know, looked like picked out Di Maria, and then Di Maria did the rest. I'm watching the goal right now. Um, yeah, no, so he was definitely a part of that goal. Give him uh, the hockey assist. Well, yeah, and you just watch that, and, you, and there is clearly a gulf between these two clubs, like, just talent-wise. And this year it might be larger than it's been even in the last couple of years because you could argue even last year that if they have Tovan and Mario Balotelli and Luis Gustavo and you at least could make an argument that they have like quality level players on the field like this team did not have Hmm. anybody I think that reaches the level of a real quality league on player like, they've got guys that could eventually be that. They have the two center backs, Coletta Carr and uh, Kamara, who look like they can be something eventually, but they're not there yet. Um, Benedetto is a player they got out of the Argentinian league. Mm-hmm. And it's like, what do you expect that guy to do? Like, you just, I'm sorry, like, you don't see high level clubs going into like the Argentinian league and getting a striker and that guy like producing at a level. It just, it doesn't happen. Like there's a reason it doesn't happen. (laughs) And like you look at Dimitri Payet, who is at this point, he's just a shell of himself. Like the fact that that guy is still collecting the kind of paycheck he's collecting, it does say a lot. I, yeah. I think about the way Marseille have invested in what they should be investing in. But did you were you were you concerned at all going into this? Because I didn't even like I I I was a little bit in the sense hmm. that I thought that Vill- Villas Boas was doing the Jedi mind trick a bit, where it's like, eh, we're not going to play this up in the media, but in the you know in the in the room, you know, he's going to really emphasize that hey, you know. PSG have been whipping our ass for eight years. It's my first classic. Yeah. You know, we, we're going to go out and we're going to try to win this thing. And it seems like what he was saying in public was what he was saying in private. And like, yeah, we're probably not going to win. So, you know, what, whatever. We're not even really going to try. And I don't know. Did you, did you, when you heard Vegas Boas say that, was, were you thinking, oh, maybe he's trying something different to get these guys like motivated in a different way or, you know, or was he really apparently capitulating before the match started? I I thought it was a loser mentality. I wrote about that. And I think he was actually saying that to some of his players. I mean, we saw our friend on Twitter, Muhammad um, Ali at Muhammad Ali underscore 93, who was a fan of, or he is a fan of uh, Marseille. And he was kind of having that same mentality and backing the manager and saying such a thing and saying, you know, hey, this is really, let's just get out of here healthy and move on to more important matches. So I think collectively Marseille were absolutely just phoning this game in. They didn't really care. And it showed 4-0 after 45 minutes. Um, I think they were just willing to take their, you know, ass kicking and, and move along. And, you know, this is supposed to be a rivalry and you would expect a little bit more effort 
and you didn't really get that. I haven't watched the full game, but I'm watching some of these goals, and like some of the defending is shocking. I'm looking at the lineup from Marseille, and it's shocking. I mean, they've got a wealthy owner, and you look at this lineup that they're putting out here, and it's like Kevin Strutman. Are you serious? And you know, some of these. I mean, they've got some kind of young talent that might turn into something, but Valeri Germain and um, yeah, like Valeri Germain. <laughs> what is this? Is like the perfect example of a mediocre league gun player, like just mediocre in every possible mm-hmm. aspect. Like he had that one year when he was, you know, playing next to Killian Mbappe, but of course anyone can yeah. have that yeah. when they're playing next to Killian Mbappe. <laughs> like, and he was the third guy behind Falcao and Mbappe. So it wasn't like he had to do all that much, but you know, geez, like they're throwing that guy out there again. It's like, he's just not a good football player. No, the like, M in Marseille definitely stands for mediocre. That's how I would describe this team. But, I mean, and, it, and it's you sad. And I, you and I are both fans of uh, SEC football. Yes, you very much so. more, you guys, You're more involved in it than I am, but I, <laughs> yeah. I always I, I watch the SEC every week. I watch the SEC on CBS Game of the Week at 3.30. Yes. I've been doing that since I was a kid. It's like it's one of the few traditions I really have. Good balls. Weekend, yeah. <laughs> but – it's like, you know, you talk about a rivalry like Alabama and Auburn, where it's like it doesn't matter where the it doesn't matter what the records are. You always have a chance to win. You know, each team goes in, no matter what the no matter what happened the year before, mm-hmm. three years before. There's always a chance for something to happen. Both teams go in playing hard. It's you know they they usually give each other a game all the time. Didn't Kansas State just beat Oklahoma on paper? Yeah. That that should never happen. And it did yeah, because it, they it didn't, did. go, you know, the, the head coach of Kansas State wasn't like, eh, let's just, you know, we, we got Texas Tech next week. Let's prepare for that and just get out of this game healthy. They were like, no, they're coming into our building. Let's whoop their ass. Let's go. Like, we can hang with yeah. them. And, and they and did. They like the, and then there's like the Alabama-Tennessee rivalry, where it, which is kind <laughs> of a, the analog. It's kind of analogous to what we have with PSGOM. It is. It used to be a major deal, yes. but one team has just been so much better than the other mm-hmm. that I think the other team's fan base is just saying, we give up. Like, we're not going to beat you, you know, we're, you know, yeah. we're, it, it's that kind of attitude. And it's like, and you're right, it's a loser mentality. And Lee Gun needs a signature match. Every league has a signature match or signature matches. The Premier League has like three or four of them. You know, La Liga has two of them. I would mm-hmm. two or three of them. I would say. Yeah, I throw Atletico Madrid in there. The Bundesliga has one major one. Syria has a couple of major ones. Yeah. It's like Liga needs the rivalry. It yeah. needs those kind of marquee games for people to to tune want, in. To yeah. tune in. Not just be good, but Marseille and Monaco need stars that they hang on to that they can build around to challenge PSG. They absolutely need that. And you know what? They don't always have to. And I don't expect Marseille to challenge for titles every year with PSG. Maybe I should, but I don't think that's what it, it is here. What it is here is you have to treat the rivalries with respect. And you have to, tr- like, OL and, and Saint-Étienne, you would never hear a Saint-Étienne coach say that. No. You would never hear a coach 
of Tennessee say that about in a game against Alabama. Mm-mm. You just wouldn't because your fans have, this is not about measuring expectations. This isn't about, you know, trying to keep things in perspective. This is about being competitive and having that sort of mentality of we are going to compete and we are going to play hard as many games as we can. And when you're talking about a rivalry and something that should be a big deal, that should be a draw for the league that you play in, and we hear all this nonsense about, oh, PSG buys the league and it's not competitive because PSG spent all this money and blew everyone out of the water. That's that's bullshit. Yeah. Because I mean, it, all these all these other teams like Reim and King Gomp, all these other teams or Toulouse, yeah, PSG will whoop them once in a while and they usually whoop them more times than not. But there'll be games where they come out and they show up and they play. And it's like that's what I expect from Marseille. I expect them to play and to you know try to really come out with some sort of game plan to frustrate PSG, to slow them down, to get them off their game, and to take advantage. That's what I expect, because I expect them to respect the rivalry. And Marseille have shown no respect for the rivalry right now, especially via both. Absolutely, and that's one thing that Tuchel said in his uh, pre-match press conference is that he's going to respect it. He knows it's a big deal to the fans, and, and that's why they went out and performed like they did from the opening whistle. But to your point, uh, do you think that Julien Stefan for with uh, Stad René, do you think that he, ahead of a game against PSG, would say something? I mean, he he's owned Tuchel and PSG. He doesn't have the finances. He doesn't have the players, but he knows how to beat them, and he's done it. I, I can assure you that he goes into that game and whether it's home or away, he tells his team, look, we can do this. We're going to beat them. And that's the same mentality you need to carry out. You know, PSG, yeah, they have a lot of finances and yeah, they have some great players, but you can do things on a football pitch to frustrate them and be competitive and at least try to hold on for a draw, maybe kind of sneak some a, goal, a late goal. I mean, the the mental toughness is not something that you often associate with PSG. So if you put pressure on them and you make it to 70th, 80th minute, you might be able to, to catch them sleeping a little bit or put them under some pressure. Yeah. So, yeah. And look, it's not like Marseille haven't done this in the past. Like two years mm-hmm. ago, they had that game in 2017 where they almost and probably should have beaten PSG yeah. except for that Edson Cavani free kick goal. Yeah. Like they can do this. Like they can go out and they can compete. And that's the one thing Rudy Garcia, I think, did well for them is he made them competitive in most of those classic classiques. Not all of them, but most of them. And if Villas Boas is just going to come out here and say, oh, well, we, there's nothing we can do, you know, just, you know, well, just throw a team out there and we'll see what happens. Like, what kind of, like, yeah. again, what kind of attitude is that, especially for your fans? Like, I know Muhammad Ali is trying to, like, I know what he's doing in this case. Mm-hmm. I get he's trying to measure the expectations and underst- and give the new coach an opportunity to sort of develop his team. But that's not a good sign. That's not a good sign. And I, I'll get off of Marseille because <laughs> we've talked a lot about Marseille in a PSG show. Yeah. But... I thought, I think, and I think it's become pretty clear, you know, Edison Cavani got into that game 
And he did not place, replace Morrow with Cardi. He replaced mm-hmm. Killian Mbappe, who I think up 4-0, you might as well take him off because there's no reason to extend him 90 minutes in a game that doesn't matter or right. that doesn't count anymore. So he did he touch the ball maybe three times in 20 minutes? Maybe, I think. he That's maybe what he touched the ball that much. He really didn't get – he had one try to bicycle kick that sort of failed miserably. It's, it's kind of funny, actually. I, I'm surprised he didn't injure himself. I, I openly kind of guffawed at, at him trying to do that. You know, I, I but it's clear, isn't it? Like, it's clear what this is. Icardi's the guy. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if at the end of this season he will want to stay – but I think the signs are there, and the fact that he's more likely than not going to be the everyday number nine for a Champions League competitive roster is going to be, I think, incentive enough for him to stay. I don't think he's going to go to Juventus and be on the bench or go to back to Milan, where I think mm-hmm. there's just a lot of baggage there unless he just is really in love with Inter Milan for some weird reason that I can't really explain except for loyalty like there's a very good chance at this point that Mauro Icardi is gonna be a PSG player for the next three to four years hopefully now how does that work how does that work I mean PSG have the option to buy as it was explained to me during the LaCelso thing the player does have some sort of input in all of this. Mm, okay. The player could refuse. I just don't see that happening in this case. Like, I didn't see it didn't happen in the LaCelso case. I think once you make that move, I think the move is made. I don't think there is a going back, especially with how, with how well he's playing. Like, and how bad things were at Inter Milan. Yeah, like, he's just he's, – he's doing exactly what PSG got him there to do which is he takes pressure off of that whole team with the way he plays and the fact that he's always a threat. He puts pressure on the opposing team and he takes pressure off of the PSG for PSG wing players and midfielders because they know they can put a ball in the box and he can do something with it. He can break a game from nothing. And those mm-hmm. two goals that he scored – were striker goals. They were, you know, both balls were put on a dime by mm-hmm. the by Di Maria and then by Verratti. Mm-hmm. And he was just able to easily dispatch them. The first one was a good save by Mandanda, but once that rebound came in, he's just like a cat. <laughs> like he just he just pounced on that rebound. Like they Marseille defenders had no chance to clear that ball because of how quick Icardi was. And then that second goal, he just splits the defender perfectly, gets in that spot, doesn't do too much with the header, just has to direct it. Yeah. And that's what he does. And Edinson Cavani at this point in his career just cannot do that. And that was Icardi's fourth league on goal, and I believe he's scored in three straight games now. Yeah, and that put that on top of the Champions League, the three Champions League goals he scored. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Like. This is this is the kind of replacement that, you know, when we were talking about, like, replacing Cavani eventually, it was always sort of this concern in the same way that replacing Thiago Silva is this concern, where you're worried about, you know, who's going to replace these, like, club legends, and then, you know, 
PSG just get a replacement pretty much falling from like falling out of the sky for a bargain like, price 70 million is what it's going to cost them to, to that's, bring them that's on. incredible that is incredible work by leonardo to take that gamble and it is a bit of a gamble but i think he knew that like they had to make this move because they have to try to replace cavani hey guys want to take a second from the podcast to just let you know about a new partner of ours my bookie as a true football fan you already know just as sure as the seasons change tom brady will keep the patriots in the game every weekend our favorite gridiron warriors put their skills to the test so why aren't you doing the same right mark absolutely very smooth there we're almost halfway through the nfl season so now is the time to get off of the sidelines and get in the game with my bookie so the best part is if you join right now my bookie will double that's right double your first double yeah, double. So let's just say, for example, you got a cool $1,000. They'll give you $1,000. Where else can you find that? They're going to double your initial deposit you can use on all of your favorite picks. So I can bet on my Giants to lose every week and make a lot of money? I mean, it seems like free money. Why wouldn't you take that? Oh, yeah, free money, like volunteer football. Exactly. So in order to get that special reward from my bookie, what you're going to want to do is use a promo code late fees. That's L-A-T-E-F-E-E-S. Use that promo code to activate the offer. So that again, one more time, promo code late fees to double your cash. And if you're the kind of guy who likes to bet a little to win a lot, try a parlay. Pick your locks for the week, put them together in one parlay bet. And when they all come through the rewards, will be huge. Absolutely. And if you want to get in on this offer, all you got to do is visit mybookie.ag today, and we're going to put a link in the description, so make sure you check that out. All right, Mark, let's get back to the show. Presto Kimpembe basically allowed Tiago Silva to take the night off <laughs> and still play. Like, he was just amazing. I mean, like, if that's the Kimpembe you get, from mm-hmm. now going forward, PSG are fine at center back. I, I, want, got, to talk about, I want to talk about Kimpembe just for a second. Sorry to cut you off there. I, he did an interview with Le Prisienne that I thought was really eye-opening. So there was a lot of talk about how after the World Cup, he just wasn't performing well and what happened to him and is he tired? And he talked about how he pushed himself for the team to remain in the squad and he knew that he had that kind of that groin injury that was holding him back and he wasn't fully fit and he talked about that injury and how he just at the end of the season had to shut it down he also talked about um the birth of his son who i believe just turned two and how he would go to training and then at like some to stay at the hotel after training until two or four in the morning and then go to training a few hours after that and no one really knew about this other than, I guess, people who were close to him. And it just made me appreciate the player that he is, that he was injured and pushed forward and that his son in the hospital who was premature, I think he was born after five months, that he would go to the hospital and then come to training right after that and give everything he could for the club and then go back to take care of um, his baby. I mean, it was it really eye-opening. It made me appreciate him as a player. But that's you a know, little sidebar. I just want to point that out. And on, a seri- and on a kind of a serious note, it's like, we don't, as pundits and as fans, really always understand that these players are human beings and that they go through these kinds of struggles. And you know what? It, it's our escape. It's our kind of selfish escape from life. 
So we don't really take into account what these players are going through, what they put their bodies through and what they have to go through out off the field. And you're right about that. It's like this guy is a really, I think, good person. Mm -hmm. Like he's arguably a good play, a great player. I think you have to see more games like this from him to really feel kind of comfortable about going out, you know, and not having Tiago Silva there anymore. But if you have, you know, Abdou Diallo and uh, Presno Kimpembe and Marquinhos, you can go back there and you sign another center back, you're going to be okay if Presno Kimpembe can continue yeah. to play at this level. It was an encouraging sign today. It was really encouraging. And I think his Champions League performances have been encouraging as well. And, and to that point, I think what he said in the interview is that signing of Diallo really pushed him. He thrives off that competitive nature in the training um, pitch and just kind of pushing him to, to perform better. And he talked about his recovery during the summer and how he went to Greece and he trained with like a, a world-class triple jump um, record holder or something like that to like strengthen his legs. So, And then, of course, I love the, the quote where he said, I don't know anything about Marseille. I don't ever want to go there. I mean, he is a PSG player through and through. He's dedicated. He just seems like a great guy. And he is the type of player that you need in your team. That's just a good guy who works hard and is extremely skilled at yeah, his position. Yeah, and you know what? I think he's learned a lot over the last year or two about himself as well. I think winning that World Cup, Winning that World Cup can do something to a player. Like, mm-hmm. it, you know, it can, it's, it's like there is that kind of World Cup funk for certain guys. And I think he was one of the guys, and obviously his off the field deal affected it too. But like, it's a combination of all those things. But I think you look at where PSG is now, they are eight points ahead of Nantes in the, uh, in the standings. Shout out to Nantes for uh, performing above expectations. I'm just going to look to see where where exactly the standings look like right now. Yeah, PSG um, are in first, 27 points, and then you have Nantes at 19, Lille behind them at 18, tied with them with 18 is Stade de Rheim, and then uh, Restois, Angers, and Marseille down in seventh. Yeah, and you have Lyon at 13, Monaco in 11th. Obviously, they'll climb up at some point, but... Man, you know, this was looking kind of like a, uh, a, a, it was looking kind of competitive for a little bit. You know, there were some teams that were, you know, making runs early, but you know what? PSG have survived sort of a rough first month. And yeah, a, a really, months. a really tough eight days if you think about it. I mean, coming off the international break, you had players coming in from all parts of Europe and the world, yeah, and they were jet lagged. <laughs> I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking about like the in August where you just had yeah. that rough stretch where you lose to Ren and then you lose to mm-hmm. Reim. And it looked like, you know, it looked like, and I think we were talking about this at the time. It's like, Tuchel, yeah. Tuchel was starting to, the, the seat was getting a little hot. And these last two months, they have, I don't think they've lost a game in two months. I don't they think so. Drawn, they haven't drawn a game in two, in two. I'm trying to remember when the Reim game was. I got to look that up just so I, I'm, clear on that but the the ram game was in actually no that was there was a month ago so they haven't lost in about a month so and that's you know, and about one two three four five six games and and people will talk about their schedule and we're used to it but they can only play who's ahead of them they can only play the teams in their league and they can only play 
the teams in their Champions League group. It's not their fault that Real Madrid are having a down year, and it's not their fault that Galatasaray and Bruges are the other two in their group. So they are taking care of business. I would much prefer them dominate a relatively easy schedule than struggle. You know, if we were talking about maybe kind of up and down, and maybe we were in second place or something, there's a cause for concern. But not only are we winning, but we are winning impressively. And there are players who have come into the team this summer who are performing like they've been with this team for years, like Icardi, Sarabi, and some of the other ones. I mean, they are. Tuchel has this team rolling right now. Well, and speaking of rolling, you got three more matches before the end of the uh, before the next dreaded international break. Yes, yeah, November tenth. So I think that will is. will not be a part of. Thank goodness. Did you um, see uh, my piece? Uh, apparently, there was a question from someone from Brazil or a question from Brazil, and they said that the Brazilian physiotherapist said that Neymar should be able to train, you know, by November 10th. And Tuchel just started laughing. He's like, well, I'm glad we can just, you know, look after him for them and we can just make sure he's ready for Brazil. So I, Tuchel's pretty much had enough of Brazil shit at this point, from what well, I can I've tell. Well, I've had enough of it, too, because <laughs> there's no reason for him. Like, here's the thing. He has now missed, um, how many games will that end up being? He'll end up missing about Closest, yeah. six games. Overall, yeah, six games. Which is not terrible. Like, they, if he ends up only missing six games, that's really actually quite better than you'd initially have thought. So he only misses six games. He gets, you know, they he misses Dijon, Bruges, and then mm-hmm. Brest. And then mm-hmm. he's back for Lille on the 23rd. And hopefully Real Madrid, where we could potentially put them in some serious danger um, going into oh, match day six. Start. Not, they won't, it will not be allowed to happen. <laughs> that will not be allowed to happen. It's just, it's Real Madrid will get in the second, they'll get in at second. They'll play, um, what's that really bad Champions League group right now that has like nobody in it? Oh, I don't know. I got to pull it up. I'm pulling it up right now. Um. Oh, this is the this group: Leipzig, Zenit, Lyon, and Benfica. Hey, They're no, there, there will be no Leipzig, no Leipzig slander on this podcast. I I love Leipzig. That's my that's my Bundesliga team. Oh well, they're gonna draw Leipzig and they're gonna beat Leipzig. The, interesting, you know, it's pretty much been shock so far in the Champions League groups. I guess we, we don't have that much to talk about if we're going to look at Champions League groups, but. Yeah, there's not much. They're, they're really, like, you're looking at the second-place teams, it's like... Do you it, have a... It could be interesting. I mean, Liverpool... Yeah. But you don't... I don't, you know, I don't see that team that's going to be the, the real... Like, I guess we thought Man United would be pretty simple last year, but the injuries and then obviously the the disaster of that second leg, but... I can't imagine that Liverpool will finish second, but if they do finish second, that is obviously a team you want to avoid in the not in the first round of the knockout stage. Not because I don't think that we can beat them, but I think it'll be a tough match, and it wouldn't surprise me if Liverpool won, and that just continues the narrative that PSG can't get it done. So I would rather face them a little bit later down the road where we have to prove it, and I would rather get an easier opponent in the first round just so we can get a couple of stages out of the way so we can get you know get that monkey off of our back get to the semifinals or you know maybe even the quarterfinals it's been a little while since we reached that but boy that would be nice it would be nice um do you, do you have anything else from the marseille game yeah i really don't think there's much you know marseille didn't exactly put a whole bunch of effort into it so i'm not sure that there's much else that we need to 
we need to say either. So. <laughs> well, good. Well, we'll just cut this short then. I hope everyone enjoyed yeah. listening to our Marseille recap. We'll have a lot more on this game on the site. Um, I talked to Eduardo Razo, fellow PSG Talk contributor, and I believe that him and uh, John Alangi are going to be recording a 24th and Park tomorrow, so look forward to that. And then I'll get the rest of the crew for PSG Talk, and we'll, we'll recap this game and look ahead to the next fixture. So thank you, as always, for listening. All right, and our blog for now.